You're listening to the Tranquility Tribe podcast, an empowering space for all parents from conception to childhood. In this podcast, you'll explore your birth options, hear from experts in the field, learn to embrace self-indulgence, and prepare yourself for parenthood with Haiti. She's a coffee connoisseur, lover of deep belly laughs, a big-time tailgater, and your neighborhood birth junkie. From Mississippi to Massachusetts and everywhere in between, here's your host, Hee. Hello, villagers. This is such a special episode for me to be sharing with you all today, and I'm so, so excited. This is our 20th episode, and you know, maybe you're sitting there thinking, 20 really isn't that many, but when I first started this podcasting journey, I never in a million years um, thought that it would have taken off like it has, and I owe all of it to you. I owe, you know, the biggest thank yous and all of the hugs and it all. I owe it all to you. If it, if it weren't for you, the listeners, this would not, um, this wouldn't be a thing, you know, if nobody was out there listening and cared about what I said and also believed in the mission that I'm out to, um, to accomplish, then none of this would be possible. So, Thank you um, so much to everybody out there. I really, really appreciate it. We um, we have nearly 2,000 listeners out there, um, which is wild. And, um, and we're in over 14 countries, so that is exciting. And yeah, I wanted to share some feedback with you guys um, that came from the podcast reviews. So... I just kind of chose some randomly, and um, Mama of One Munchkin said, I love Hee Hee's podcast. Each episode, I learn so much. As a mom to an almost one-year-old and someone who is thinking of future pregnancies, the topics and guests on the podcast strike my interest every time. Hee Hee does a wonderful job. Oh my goodness, thank you so much. Those, those are so sweet words. Oh my gosh, it just like stops me. I really appreciate it. The next one is from JJ Cho. This podcast is such a gem. I'm so grateful I discovered it. I instantly feel empowered, inspired, and knowledgeable. He he is so much fun and brings on guests that really have changed my perspective on things. Thank you so much. It's brave sharing some of this stuff. Can't wait for next episode. Oh my gosh, that's so sweet too. You guys are so kind. So I, I do have an ask. I wish that everybody would go on and kind of put your thoughts out there if you love the podcast or if it has helped you or if it has made you feel all the feels or if you've learned something or if it has made you not feel alone or if it has made you realize that you are in fact doing a really great job. Can you just head over to iTunes and leave a quick five-star review? And I'd love also if you left your thoughts there. I really do care about 
um, each and every review and I see all of them. I love to read them. This helps us get in front of more parents. So parents just like you who also deserve to feel really supported and like they have access to that education and that knowledge and that they have this village standing behind them. So head to iTunes click the five-star review and leave some kind words so that other parents um, know what they're getting into when they uh, when they subscribe to our channel and welcome them to the tribe. Now on to episode number 20 of the Tranquility Tribe podcast. I'm so excited to share this episode of Influencer Moms with you. Today I have Shanna Dewitt who is kind of a double whammy today. She is the mother of two children, ages 11 and 2, and had two very different birth experiences. So that's one piece. But the other piece is her career path. Shanna used to work at a Fortune 100 company and then became a freelancer and finally took the leap into the entrepreneur life. She's the owner of Tipsy Studio and is your it gal for web design, branding, business coaching, plus she teaches at the University of Tennessee. Tuning in from Knoxville, Shanna, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to chat it up. Before we like really get into the nitty gritty, can you tell us a little bit about you and your family? Well, like you said, I have two girls, 11 and 2, and a husband, and we also have a little uh, Lassipu who is pretty much like having another toddler. He is a handful. His name is Lincoln, and we live here in Knoxville, Tennessee, and really love it. We've been here about three years, and um, it's a great place for us and our family. Oh, that's super sweet. My fur baby is very much like my child. Of course, I don't have children, but... I do love him like he is a human child. So before, um, before we dive into your, your business aspect and, and Tipsy Studio, I wanna dive into your birth story. So we had chatted a little bit before um, and you were telling me about your birth experiences and that you felt you had really experienced fear-based care and that it dictated the way that you experienced birth. Can you share with our listeners a little bit about that? So with my first child, um, it wasn't a planned pregnancy. It was definitely a surprise. I wasn't in a place in my life where I was um, thinking about becoming a mom. You know, it wasn't really on my radar. So my mindset was a lot different than when I had my second child. And as you said, I have a two-year-old and an 11-year-old. So you can see there's like a big difference there <laughs> for, for them and for me. And I just did what I thought was normal. I got, um, I had my child in the same hospital that I was born in and um, just did whatever they told me to do. And it was pretty good. I had a, um, an epidural when I was like seven and a half centimeters. And I remember that the doctor came running into the hospital room because uh, it was almost too late and it was a full moon. And a lot of you have probably heard that that really kicks up the uh, births at the hospitals. And I'm sure that you're very familiar with this. It's totally true. Um, that's, you know, and I, um, I always call Addie my little full moon baby because that's definitely what happened, but it was just a lot of people. So I barely got an epidural. So I felt like I had a pretty good idea of, you know, some idea of what a natural birth could be like. 
So when it came time to, um, you know, that labor and delivery was, it was really fine. It was like, once you get the epidural, I mean, you could like host a cocktail party and just, it was like no big deal. <laughs> but um, when I had my second child, Josie, uh, I wanted a much different experience. It was like, I knew a lot more and I've always been very much a person who was into, um, natural remedies, like making my own cleaning products. I don't use any kind of like bleach in my house and, um, you know, like all natural, anything you can get just really conscientious of the things that I come in contact with. So when it came to giving birth, like I just knew that there were other options and those are the options that I wanted to take. So I wanted a natural birth. I wanted to try a water birth because I'd had friends tell me that that really helped with the labor pains. And really it was also a health concern because I am a high risk or I was high risk. I had to take um, blood thinners every day and they just told me that there, you know, for me to actually get an epidural, I would have had to have kind of scheduled it and maybe even been induced and stuff like that, which I didn't want to go down that route. So I went to a doctor who had a group of midwives under him. I thought that's kind of the best of both worlds. They were like, Shanna, you can have this baby on your head if you want to. And I thought this is amazing. It's going to be so wonderful. And, um, that's just not what happened. That's <laughs> not what happened at all. I, uh, my water broke and not like before it wasn't like a little bit I mean you do this all the time so you know much more than what I know but it was like buckets and buckets of water just like over and over again <laughs> and so there's really nothing left but the time that the labor started it got pretty intense pretty fast but I wasn't really progressing and I asked them about my water birth and they said, well, we don't really have time to fill up the tub because it's very time consuming. And I thought, okay, so maybe they don't think it's going to take that long. <laughs> that was not true. It was like 17 hours later. <laughs> they definitely could have filled the tub up. But they put me in a bathtub and then they took me out and said, well, this is just uh, making your labor take too long. So we're going to put you back in the bed. And then the midwife finally showed up and she said, I know that you don't want this, but if you don't, if your labor doesn't hurry up and progress, we're going to give you Pitocin. And I, I just didn't feel like that was, uh, I mean, I understand that my water had broken, but I had time and I just didn't really appreciate the pressure because it's not like it was a choice. It's not like, oh, I'm just sitting here being lazy. Why don't I like do something? Um, so I asked her to give me a couple of hours to try to rest. And, um, and I did, I rested a little bit and then the labor kicked in and it was, it was awful. Um, my friend was there. He was trying to advocate for me and they just kept pressuring me and pressuring me about different stuff. And when I finally actually gave birth and had the baby, I didn't even enjoy it because the pain was so bad because they wouldn't let me move. They had me on my back and my body is like, you know, what you're, what you you need to do. And I kept trying to move. So I wasn't on my back and ended up on my stomach with my butt in the air and punched my husband and was thinking that if there was anybody else in that hallway that was giving birth, I must have scared the crap out of them. Because <laughs> I was like, Hey, it, re it honestly, like at the point where I was on my stomach, it reminded me of that scene in the exorcist when her head spins around and she's like <laughs> climbing up the walls. Like that was me. And I remembered so many times where I'd seen like the 
true, you know, the very dramatic birth scenes on TV. And I'm like, it is not like that. Oh, it was like that. It was awful. And I mean, to the point where I would question it, I really don't know if I could do it again. Like I was so scared. So I had the baby and, um, I had some complications right after that. And they tried to hand her to me, which is like the best moment when you get to see their face. And I remember so vividly with my first child being able to look in her eyes. And I swear she gave me a look like, Oh, it's you. Like she wasn't. And with Josie, uh, my body was in so much shock and I was in so much pain. Like I physically could not hold her and didn't want to, to be honest. Like I just, I was just in so much shock and pain. And then, you know, it's funny how as soon as you give birth, it's like all the pain kind of goes away and you feel a million times better than you felt that last like 30 to 60 days. So, um, the nurse comes in and she's like, well, we're going to start the routine, like the stuff that they put over their eyes and the shots and everything. And I said, no, I don't want to do any of that. And she's like, what do you mean? You don't want to do any of that. And I said, don't, I don't want to do any of it. I've already decided. And my friend was like, no, we're not doing that. And she told me that if I did not let them put the stuff, what is it called? It's like the things that they put over the eyes, like a gel on their eyes. The erythromycin cream. Yeah. So she told me that if I didn't do that, then my baby was going to be blind. And I mean, I've just been through like a million hours of labor and I gave in. I was like, okay, fine. You know, <laughs> it's like, okay. But, um, that really makes me angry. Like, why would she lie to me? Why would she like take advantage of me when I was so vulnerable and, you know, just, tell me something that wasn't true. So at this particular hospital, the next thing that they do is um, they send in a pediatrician and you kind of pick based on like a group, an area. And we didn't have one already because we had just moved here and she was really nice and I liked her a lot. But then when we took the baby in for her appointment afterwards for her, you know, just like the two day checkup or whatever, she started telling me that I needed to give her formula and supplement. And I had already been through this before. So my first time in the hospital with my first child, they did the same thing. I told them that I was going to breastfeed. They were telling me that, I mean, the nurse actually was giving me ugly looks and acted like a real, you know, what about the fact that I would not let her give her formula and that she had to do it through a dropper instead because my milk hadn't come in. And I thought, so, you know, something's wrong with me, but I figured out later that that's normal, that your milk doesn't, is not there. Like, why would she make me feel like there was something wrong with me when that's normal? But they do because your baby's breastfed. They make you feel like, you know, they don't eat enough. They want you to supplement. And again, it's just, I think the damaging part of this is that it makes you not be able to trust yourself and your intuition. And that is the most important thing about being a parent because nobody knows your kid like you do and nobody knows your body like you do. And it absolutely infuriates me that a medical professional is going to tell you that you can't trust yourself because you're your own best, you know, you're in a lot of ways, you're, you're, you're your own best doctor because you know, and, um, that's not the only time that's happened to me. When I was um, in my twenties, I kept going to this OBGYN and she was supposed to be like, she was in magazines. She was like a famous OBGYN in Memphis, Tennessee. And I think about her, I would say at least once a week because I kept going to her and telling her that I was having all this pain in my, um, like my personal area. 
And it felt a lot like a urinary tract infection. So she would give me some antibiotics and then she was doing a like physical exam. And she said, Shanna, this is all in your head. And if you don't stop coming in, the insurance company is going to quit paying for it. Um, so fast forward, like, I don't know, maybe a year later, I was at a new OBGYN and I told her, I do not think that this is urinary tract stuff. And she's like, you know what, Shanna, I don't think it is either. So she sent me to a specialist and I was diagnosed with interstitial colitis, which is my bladder. And it turns out that after I was diagnosed, it ends up that my mom and my sister both have it too. And I think about her all the time that she told me that it was in my head that she, you know, and I was kind of like, never again. <laughs> like you can't, like, if you know that something's wrong, you, you know that something's wrong. Like you got to find somebody else. You have to go to a different doctor or whatever. So these, these even, but even so with these experiences with my own kids, like they make you feel like you don't know what you're talking about. Like you don't know your body. You can't make choices for your kids because you're not them. Um, but I went into this new pediatrician and I told her that I was going to do a different kind of vaccination plan, which is the Dr. Sears plan. And she sent a different doctor in to basically belittle me and make me feel like I was a terrible person. So then it took um, three months for me to find another doctor that would take my insurance that was okay with this plan because apparently I just was radical. Um, <laughs> and that's what we did. <laughs> but I had to fight for it. And I mean, they just make you feel like, like you're stupid and you question yourself. But I, I had to fight to do things differently. And I did. <laughs> wow. The like, whoa, I already have a whole page of notes just from your, your birth experiences. But the first thing that comes in mind is you are a badass. Keep I don't know about that. <laughs> Absolutely. You don't take no for an answer. I see so much power in that. And you really you trust yourself, you trust your body, you trust, you know, your, you trust your gut, no pun intended, but you do, you trust that you know what you're talking about. And I, oh, I wish I could just take a little piece of that and break it up and give it to every single parent, but especially women out there, because mm, you're right. You are the person who knows your child the best and you know your body. And sometimes it does result in you having to change care and having to change providers or, um, you know, even find a different village. You Sometimes you have to change all, all of your village and you have to say, like, I no longer fit in here. I need to go find people who are like-minded to me. And that that's okay. You're entitled to change. You should grow as a person. You should grow. You want to look back and say, look how much I've grown. Look how different I am. My goodness. Just stop and think about where you were 10 years ago. Surely your life is different, right? So I do think that you're a badass and I'm not afraid to say it. I think that, wow, I'm very, uh, I'm just so happy that you're here to share your story with our listeners. Um, so I guess to start, 
the beginning of your birth story, for me, one of the first things I noticed was the approach. And it is something that rang true all the way through all of these stories is the approach of these care providers. They stripped you of your control. They weren't explaining your options. They, some of them didn't even really care to hear you out, right? They never even asked your opinion or what you wanted or what you thought or what your goal was. Um, yeah, right? It's, I mean, it's crazy, but I think Oh, I think there's so many people that have no idea that they have options, that there are different ways that you can do this, that, um, I mean, uh, it bothers me so bad because that's part of the reason why I wanted to start the podcast that I've started. It's called the Be Heard Podcast is because there are so many situations where we are snuffed out and, and being mothers and healthcare where you are taught to not listen to your voice that you don't know. And our intuition, I think is one of the, is no, it's the most powerful tool that God has given us. Whether you believe in God or you believe in the universe or whatever it is you believe, we all have intuition. And when you don't listen to it, it's like a muscle and it just doesn't work anymore. But um, I'm glad that you have this podcast so that people can hear that, you know, you're not the only person that has ever been in a situation like that, because I'm sure there's so many people that go to the doctor and the doctor's just like placating them or feeling like, um, you know, they're not feeling like they've been heard. I mean, the first time that I went to a doctor that listened to me talk about my situation and said, you know what, I, I know what's wrong with you. Her name is Dr. Mickey Altry and I'll never forget her. And I just started boohooing on the table because somebody heard me because I felt like somebody listened to me. And that's a huge, I mean, that's a huge thing. And I was kind of wondering from you, like, we're both from Mississippi, go figure. And um, do you think that it also kind of depends on where you're from? Because I definitely feel in Mississippi, there are a lot less options. Like, I don't know very many people that are having doulas or water births or any of those type of things. Absolutely. I think it depends on where you're from, I mean, even, even here in Massachusetts, you have regions and, and pieces, patches of the, the state where people either don't know what it is or it just isn't really on their radar. Maybe they've heard of it, but it's not a priority. But then you have pieces and patches that everybody has a doula. And if you don't have a doula, whoa, what are you doing? <laughs> like, are you a superhuman or are you a crazy human? Because you can't just, you can't be, you know? Um, so yeah, I absolutely do. I think, yeah, I think that it definitely depends on where, where you're from. And I definitely think too, it has impacted my practice here. Um, because I sometimes come across uh, individuals that have an attitude about um, they're not very humble when you don't know something. They're actually fairly condescending. You know, they want to make you feel bad because you didn't know you had these options or um, they want to make you feel bad because as a provider, you didn't know this was an option maybe for your client or your patient or your, you know, whatever. That... I just don't ever have that reaction because I have been there, I guess, coming from a place where um, I think 
I don't know that resources are, are scarce. Um, I, I guess definitely resources are scarce, but the exposure is just different, right? Like the experiences are just very different all the way around. Yeah, so I've been there so many times. It really impacts the way that I approach um, clients and when they don't know something, it actually makes me really excited because I know how I feel when I learn something and I can't wait to teach them something. Um, yeah. Great question, I definitely think. And I think there are also, you can look at um, the United States as a whole. There are going to be places, probably Massachusetts is one of those, where you see these patterns of kind of birth behavior. So doulas and home births and using midwives and hospitals instead of having um, an OBGYN. Um, I bet California is another place. I know um, Seattle has, has great things. Um, and you had mentioned Memphis um, and um, you know, you're in Knoxville. Um, I know of a good person around Knoxville. So yeah, I definitely think you have these patches where it's more popular, but uh, location is definitely, definitely a factor. Location, 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 right? <laughs> yeah. So what is, um, I guess, what is your biggest piece of advice after experiencing all of this um, and it can be in life it can be about birth maybe you have one about each um, what what's your biggest piece of advice that you learned um, from kind of your whole journey from start to finish I think that no matter what you have to trust your gut I mean I, I know so many mothers that have stories about kids being sick and doctors saying oh it's just a stomach virus and they have like ruptured appendix or whatever um, you have to trust your gut. And I also think that when you decide what it is yeah. that you want to do, whether you want to vaccinate or you don't, or you want something in between or whatever kind of birth, like whatever it is you decide, it's really important to have um, some support in that decision because my husband was really great. He was, he was basically like, Shanna, whatever you do, that's what we're going to do. And um, when I was dying in birth and I was like, I've changed my mind. I want an epidural. <laughs> he was like, he was like, Shanna, that's, you told me that's not what you wanted. You can do this. You can do it. You know, we, we, we're going to do this. This is what you wanted. Don't forget about that. And when I was, um, you know, struggling with the pediatricians and all that kind of stuff, he's like, well, you already decided what you wanted to do. So we're just going to stick with it. And if you change your mind, I'll support you. And so he was, um, it was good to have somebody that was really supportive. Like, I don't know that he really has, or he, I don't think he really has an opinion one way or the other, especially when it comes to how I wanted to give birth, you know, like he's not going to tell, he doesn't have an opinion about that. <laughs> um, but I, but I really, I, I was really, um, I felt really good that he was so supportive because it is a little bit different with your child, like healthcare for them. That's a little different than like you and your body, but he was, he was very supportive and the decisions that I had made and was there for me when I felt like I was going to fold. So I think um, trusting your gut and really having a supportive partner or family um, makes a huge difference. Having a supportive partner is um, from, from even getting pregnant to parenthood in general um, and 
birth, you know, kind of brings on stressors. It can definitely find those, those weak pieces um, in your relationship. It reminds me of how people give you advice of like, you know, planning a wedding is one of the hardest things your relationship will ever go through. Um, it kind of reminds me of that. It does. It, it, it can definitely find um, some weaker pieces of your relationship and really prey on those if you, if you allow it. And so it's really amazing to hear you mention that. And another thing I wanted to mention was that you were talking about the pressure um, when you are feeling vulnerable um, and, and these providers were really taking advantage of that and really manipulating you and getting their way. It, it always kind of dumbfounds me when I see providers in what seems like they're deliberately um, talking to women during attractions. You know she cannot hear you. You know she's not <laughs> listening to you. Stop and give her a little bit because she's working so hard, you know. Can you tell me a little bit about what you were thinking in those moments? Is Was it ever like, just stop. Just take a minute and let me breathe, please. My midwife, who I had been seeing, so the place that I went, they had three midwives and you just like rotated with whoever was there and whoever was available when you had your baby. But you regularly saw all of them so that you would have some sort of relationship with them. But my midwife was calling me by the wrong name and yelling at me. She was going like, my name is Shanna. And she was like, Shana, if you don't do this, you know, Shana, like, like, like a football coach, like, Nana, like I was being like, seriously, you want that baby out. You're not like, eh, I just don't feel like it. No. I mean, you want it out. And at one point I hate to admit this, but I was like, can you not just pull her out? I mean, it's like, get this baby out of here. It was awful. Um, so I didn't really appreciate that. Um, would have been nice if she had had um, the right name or if she like she was supposed to be there coaching me through the labor pain and stuff like that and I this was probably a little bit on me but I thought like I've had a baby before I got this whatever my body knows what to do probably should have taken some kind of classes or something because I would have like maybe been beneficial for me especially since the midwife who was supposed to be there coaching me, helping me, showed up with a big, with a big gulp, calling me by the wrong name, like pretty much at the last minute, except for when she told me that she was going to put me on Pitocin. I mean, she was, she was not helpful. Let me just say she was not helpful at all. <laughs> oh man. And you know, it's these type of conversations that make me want so much better for the South. It reminds me of where I'm from and my roots are so deeply planted in the South. I could not have ever asked for a better childhood and I, I love the South, but we got to do better, right? <laughs> Things so like much better. This that make me Oh, it's hard to stand up for the South when things like this. Um, but you know, but, it's so funny. I mean, I really do feel like, I do feel like people are starting to be more open, um, especially in Tennessee is a million, well, at least where I live in Tennessee is a million times more open than where I lived in Mississippi. And um, 
it's also kind of interesting that we have like some major birth centers here that we have Ida May, who's like one of the famous, you know, midwife person. And, you know, I just real. I think I just, I really had a different expectation and probably just would have been better off with a different midwife um, and definitely needed a doula. So if anybody out there is like, you know, I've got a cousin, she's got this. Don't just get a doula. <laughs> I'm a little biased, but I must say <laughs> great advice, everyone. I mean, your yeah. husband, he's great, but he's got one job and that one job is to be with you and you know, take punches based, you know, whatever. Oh. But, um, so definitely hire doula. <laughs> I could not agree more. So making that shift to, um, to kind of what you do, uh, for a living, I want to touch on how you find that balance of working at home, um, running a business, being a mama, teaching at, at a university. How do you do it all? Well, it's not that easy. And for anybody who has, I mean, you can hear my little one and she's like in my office all the time. I think she was playing cars earlier. So I hope that wasn't too distracting. <laughs> but, um, you know, every child that you have is going to be different. And if you're in a place where you're thinking that this is something that you want to do, I say definitely don't be scared to do that. Then also know that you have got to be super flexible and you still have to have a support system. So while it's great that I don't have to like take off work if my kids are sick um, and things like that, we have a Mother's Day Out program. So two days a week, she goes to um, this really great program for five hours. It gives me some time. Um, Self-care is really important to me. I go to the gym and they have a daycare there. So that gives me like a little bit of what I call white space to kind of like think and, you know, cause you can't just stay in your house, even though sometimes it's tempting when you're an entrepreneur because you end up just like getting chained to your desk all day. Um, and I have to remember that the reason why I'm doing this is because I want to be able to take my kids to the park and go on field trips and like really be present in their life and not spend two hours a day in a commute and build somebody else's dream and stuff like that. So not only in my own life, but what I do when I work with clients is I teach them how to build a, build, build a business around their lifestyle. So it's not a one set plug and play kind of situation really is about being able to adapt because the way that we do things now is much different than the way that we did things six months ago because she's a different kid. She was a kind of baby that really just wanted to be held all the time. And I was struggling trying to do all the, you know, do everything. And I was listening to a podcast and I can't remember who it was, but the girl said, you cannot be a full-time mom and a full-time stay at home, you know, full-time entrepreneur and a full-time stay at home mom. And I was like, preach sister because that is not working out <laughs> at all um and so we had to adapt and that's really been the biggest part of it is being able to shift and change and shift and change from what each kid needs it's a little bit different in the summer um but essentially I get up at five o'clock every day and I know when I tell people that they're like, Oh, you must be a morning person. I'm not. Um but I have to have some quiet time to just have quiet time like, before the kids get, get up. So I, um, I wake up and I do some meditation. I do my little bit of journaling. And when I say journaling, it's like a bullet journal because I'm a list. I'm like a task person, you know, so I like to just write things down. So 
um, that I'm tracking and I have a little devotional that I do and some yoga and then it's time to like get the kids up and it totally makes a difference in my day. Um, somebody asked me if I did miracle morning cause that's what it sounded like. This is just my own version of, um, just kind of like centering myself for the day. And it makes me so much better at the adapting part because, you know, kids get sick, you know, clients, so, you know, whatever happens. Um, and after the older kid goes to school, then I usually work for another hour and Josie gets up about eight thirty, and she eats breakfast and watches cartoons. And then we have a little break where we like take the dog out and kind of, you know, do whatever. And then she plays and I work. And then we have like another break where we do story time. We can take the dog outside again. We have lunch. Um, it's time for her nap. So she takes a two hour nap and that's like the time when I work on my podcast and the things that I, I call them like high attention things. So like any kind of computer programming or uh, if I'm trying to write copy, like stuff where I really need to think, I have to do that when they're not awake because they're distracting <laughs> uh, client calls and stuff like that. And when she gets up, I let her watch cartoons again. And then my older kid is home from school. And so we have like homework and chores and dinner and that kind of stuff. And that's pretty much the way our day goes. So it's a balancing act. And, you know, if I'm really busy, then I work some at night and I skip my morning routine. I'll just do like 20 minutes instead of an hour because I think that's kind of the important thing to remember when you're trying to establish a morning routine is that it doesn't always have to be this like long, luxurious thing. Like even 20 minutes of quiet is really, really valuable, <laughs> really valuable. So it's okay that it's not, I mean, that's kind of the ideal day, but it doesn't always go like that. You know, sometimes, um, sometimes I drop her off at Mother's Day out and I just go to Target for two hours or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> or the bookstore or, you know, meet a friend for lunch. I'll go, I'll go work out at the gym. We'll go to lunch. And that's the other part I forgot. We usually go to the gym kind of like mid morning and that's good for her because she gets to play with other kids. But yeah, sometimes on her mother's day out days, I'll go to the gym. Then I'll have lunch with a friend and I'll just like walk around target or something and just have that alone time because my husband, um, he runs a restaurant. So he works uh, really long hours. And, um, because of that, I'm mostly on my own with the kids, like 95% of the time. <laughs> so I don't feel guilty at all about just taking time to do nothing. I mean, sometimes I just maybe want to take a nap, but I can do that because I will structure my day that way. So if it's a day where I know that I'm going to do like whatever I want to do, then I will skip the morning routine and I get that extra hour of work in and it all works out. <laughs> I love it so much. I think the most important thing for me that you highlighted, although I do love that 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 you highlighted the screen time. It's okay to have screen time. It's um, okay. It really is. I mean, you got to do what you got to do. Survival, man. Survival. Yeah. No. The for me, the the biggest thing that you kept mentioning was the shift in. You know, from the very beginning, like from your pregnancy, this kiddo has been causing shifts, right? And then the more children you have, the more shifts you can expect. Um, so that is something that I think a lot of people find very uncomfortable or um, 
maybe even frustrating, infuriating, or maybe it causes them a lot of anxiety. It's okay to lean into that feeling, lean into that uncomfortableness, that unknownness, explore what that might be like. Start to let go and say, okay, this is what my day has been, or okay, this is what we're going to do right now. All right, not what I had planned, but here we go. I find myself sometimes saying that during the day, and it really does allow me to to kind of let go and realize, you know, this is bigger than me. I just need to kind of go with the flow. So the shift, I think, is something that a lot of people struggle with, but it's huge to hear you say it. And, and also map out how you how you handle that challenge because, gosh, it is very challenging. Well, I can also add that as a person that has an 11-year-old and a 2-year-old, I also have a different perspective because I think definitely as first-time moms, you're like, you can really make yourself crazy because you feel like you have to do everything perfect and like every little thing you're so terrified of. So first of all, if you're a first-time mom, give yourself a break. (laughs) It's okay. It really is. Because your second kid, you're so much more relaxed. But having them be so um, so different in age, one thing it's made me a lot more patient, and I can kind of like sink into those moments, and even when they're like tantrum moments or something like that, because I know they're so fleeting. And so I have one kid who her, um, I guess her difficulties are, you know, tantrums or. I don't know, potty training and stuff like that. But then I have a preteen and she's super emotional and she's got mean girls at school. And I'm telling you, the little one is a million times easier than the older child. And so those tantrums, they don't bother me at all. I mean, I'm just like, it's no big deal. Sick babies. Like you hate that they're sick, but I don't, um, you know, it doesn't like unarm me, I guess. And I just appreciate every little thing like so much more because I know that it goes by so fast and it's just so different. And then the other kind of interesting thing about having two that are so far apart is that, um, when you're talking about, you know, being adaptable and stuff, um, I remember when my older one was little and when it came to like holidays and vacations, I just felt like I wanted her to have these super special moments. She was going to remember for the rest of her life. And it's so funny because I can honestly tell you, like, stop killing yourself because they don't care. <laughs> they don't and care. And they might not remember. I don't know. Like, they really don't care. Like, I know some moms in there, they're like, um, kill themselves trying to plan out these super spectacular, um, fun-filled days where their kids are en- entertained from, like, the whole day. I don't do that. And I don't feel bad about it. I mean, we get out and do plenty of things, especially in the summer. We have a punch out list of like, we make a list of all the things we want to do. We go to national parks, we go to, you know, splash pads, whatever we do all the stuff. But, um, if I have to work over the weekend, I'm not going to sweat it. And I can tell you that when I've asked my older kid, like what things are really special that you remember, you would be surprised. It is like the simplest things that you can think of. And there's no point in like putting yourself to tears, trying to pull off all of these things when they would be just as happy watching a movie with you. So that is a big thing that I've learned from, you know, child A to child B. 
Absolutely. Just being present in the moment, letting them know that you're always there no matter what, bringing that compassion, you know, and, and really taking pride and taking joy in the things that they take pride and they enjoy um, that, that will, that will hit a kid in the heart every single time to see a kid light up. You know, when you are also happy about something that they're happy about, or you're also excited about something that makes them excited, that is, that will really get you. It always makes me feel all the feels. And speaking of feeling, one of the things you keep saying is, I don't feel bad. And I love this. I almost wish that it was a mantra that every parent out there could, could kind of can you get in their brain and not lose? Don't feel bad. Take that time to be with yourself. Take that time to have those 20 minutes or to go get that lunch with, with your girlfriends or to take that nap. Oh my goodness. And, and don't feel bad to, you know, ask somebody to take your children. You say that you, you tell your husband, you know, and you need you to take the kids. I'm doing this and you shouldn't feel bad for it. Um, you know, I always say that you're only, you're only as good as your, your most rested member on your team, right? So if you're both running at 2% battery, even together, you don't even have 5% battery. What are you doing? You know, you, you really should work off of one another. I'm really intentional about teaching parents that you should you should definitely take advantage of the fact that you are working in a pair. You are a team. Not everybody has that, that privilege, you know, not everybody's doing this with a partner or somebody there to help them. Um, so yeah, I think being in that team is super important to take advantage of, but also you shouldn't feel bad for, for taking time for yourself. I love to hear um, you talk about that. So for those parents who um, might be thinking, you know, I work from home and I do all these things and I need to restructure, I need to restructure my life and kind of how I'm running things because just like you, things are not working right now. Um, what, what's your advice to them? Where do you start? Where did you start? And maybe um, some incremental implementation of like baby steps that you could take. What is your advice around that? Okay, I'm gonna get real business-like with you because that's what I'm good at. Um, so what you should do is make a list about what's working and what's not working and what's kind of working. And then make a list of the things that are really important to you because something has got to go. If it's not working, there's something that has to go. Um, it could be, it, you may find that it's your something like your meal plan. So for example, um, I cook every other night. I cook a meal, we eat leftovers. I cook a meal, we eat leftovers. And I make food and then freeze half. And so we always have like something different. That way I'm not cooking every night. And so that saves me up to like 45 minutes of time a day. So that's a very small thing that is really gonna help you get kind of that work-life balance. Um, and then also be really aware of what your kids can do and what their part is, because we always stress that like we're a team and everybody has a job. And if you don't do your job, then it affects the entire team. So when I had Addie, I was a single mom and I had an hour commute and every day when I came home, I needed a break. I just needed like a few minutes in between 
jobs, you know, between like this, the stress of the job and then the commute and then getting home. And so she knew from a very early age, um, I would say, I need my 15 minutes of mom time. And she would go in her room and she would read a book for 15 minutes. And I've literally just laid on my bed with my eyes closed <laughs> and it made a huge impact in the way that I was able to like switch, you know, like, okay, now uh, I'm going to change my clothes and I'm going to go about the rest of my day. So it could even be small things like that where you need to initiate a break. Um, like right now, I often will meditate for like, just like 15 minutes or so in the middle of the day. And it really helps me reset. So I put the baby down for a nap. I'll meditate for a few minutes and it's kind of like, it really recharges me to get through the rest of my afternoon. Um, so making that list of like, what's really important to you, like is if you, depending on your kid's age, is it really important for you to make their lunches every day? If it's not, let them buy their lunch, like make it easy on yourself. Is it really important for you to take them to school or can you put them on the bus? Um, so when you really start to think about things and it's hard as moms, like we want to do everything. We want to be like, be the perfect mom or be like our mom. A mom was a stay at home mom. And that's been a real shift for me for me is like, I am not going to home cook every meal, make my children's clothes. And like, I'm just not going to, cause I have a full-time job and I can't do all those things. So what is really important to you? Is it putting your kids to bed at night? Is it, um, you know, like I said, maybe taking them to school or what are the things that are really important and do those things? The things that are not important, don't do them anymore. Do it a different way. And so that you have your list of what's working and what's not working, make everything into the working category by letting it go, changing what that looks like, hiring help. You know, maybe you need to hire help. Maybe you need a babysitter once a week. Maybe you need a date night. Maybe you need a house cleaner, like whatever it is that's going to make your situation work better. It's okay that you can't do everything. Nobody can. I don't, I don't know who we think this person is, but they don't exist. <laughs> and it was never meant to be like that, right? No. The no. idea of the village is that you do need, you need those people. I mean, we see it. I'm sure you see it too in your business. It's the same, whether it's your family, your business, your social life like you need other people we are we are people's peoples that's what the human race is we get our energy from other people um yeah yeah the village is really huge and um i love that the life lessons are so real in the do it in the do it household <laughs> you know <laughs> makes the dream work and if you're slacking then you're pulling the whole the whole team down those are those are really awesome life lessons, and I'm proud of you for doing that with your with your kids starting so early. Well, it's funny the effect that it has because um, you also have to think about like what are you teaching your kids, especially if you have girls. Like I don't, I don't. Um, I went to this teacher training one time, and they had a question, and it was, "Would you want your kids to be exactly like you?" And I have to tell you at that particular time in my life, that hit me like a ton of bricks because I thought, oh my God, no, no, I would not want her to be like me. I'm stressed. I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm not happy. And it, it was a, a huge wake up call. I mean, it was a simple, like just one little question, but it was really something that I, um, that I took to heart. And I think about, I think about that as far as 
what she sees me do. And I don't want her to see a person who is stressed out all the time, who, who's not happy. I don't, um, you know, so besides teaching her like responsibility and stuff, but what I've really got on my hands is a little entrepreneur. Like she has her own business plan. She, um, one day she said, mom, can I go outside? And I was like, sure, you can play outside. And then she comes running back in, like, I don't know, about 30 minutes later and she had money in her hands. I'm like, where did you get that money? She was standing in front of the house by the mailbox selling her artwork. (laughs) Wow. So um, she has a business plan. I mean, she has it all figured out. So yeah, when I say I don't feel bad, like, um, she's old enough to understand like what I'm doing and that she can see the benefits of it and that she has all these like opportunities. She can do, you know, anything that she wants to do. And, um, sometimes that means that she eats breakfast for dinner, but she's never going to care about that. I would be, I'm the one that cares. And you have to always think about, is it me that care that really cares about this or is it them? And it's usually you, it's usually you because you're like judging yourself or, you know, but it's, it's, they really don't care. And when I was a single mom, I mean, sometimes by the time Friday came around, I just had nothing to give, you know, cause work and having her by myself and we would call it a picnic and we would eat, um, like popcorn and fruit on a blanket and watch a movie. And it gave me a chance to wind down and be a better parent really. And she loved it. I mean, she thought it was like the most fun thing ever. Those are the (laughs) moments. Yes. Oh my goodness. Well, girl power to her. (laughs) Yeah. Shayla, thank you so, so much for being on the show today. If people are interested in um, anything that you do, your web design, your branding, your, um, your coaching for any other mamapreneurs out there who might just be getting started or you are really just speaking their language, where can they find you? So you can find me online at tipsystudio.com and Instagram at tipsystudio. And then um, my podcast is going to be launching in April 1st, I'm hoping. And it's called the Be Heard Podcast. So you guys can look out for that. I am super, super, super excited for that. I can't wait to tune in. As always, villagers, find your tribe and love them hard. Did you know you can join our online tribes? Our private Facebook group can be found by searching The Tranquility Tribe Podcast on Facebook, and our Instagram tribe is at Tranquility by Hehe. If you have a story you want to share with us, please reach out to us at tranquilitybyhehe at gmail.com. Until next time, villagers. <laughs>